seated here this morning. Thank you. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the creator of all things. There was nothing. There was void. And yet we see that God spoke into existence. As I've mentioned before in some sermons, it's, it's believed kind of that Hebrew um, understanding of things that Jesus or God may have even sang creation into existence. Words are extremely important. And words all belong to God. He is the creator of all things. You have never spoken a word that was your own. They're all God's words. He owns them. And yet, there is great power in the fact of of falling in love with something as simple as your child's first words. You could not long for that day. Even if it was gaga or dada, you were videotaping it, you were calling people, you wanted people to see it, you would show up at the grocery mart, meet a stranger, and say, hey, listen to my baby. They go, dad, 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 gah, 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 gah. And you're just ecstatic, and they just think your child probably has gas, right? But you're overjoyed at the thought of this child mentioning a word. There's also something that brings forth sorrow at the lack of word. We've all been to funerals of those whom we've loved. We've looked at those people, their bodies laying there, and we've been overcome with sorrow at the silence that will forever come from them on this earthly life. So words are extremely powerful. Words are extremely valuable. Yet, let's face it, we live in a culture that disagrees with that. We live in a culture where the power of words has lost its power. Where the value of words has lost its value. And yet, most people estimate that you and I are going to spend the next, or we will have 13 years total of speaking. You're going to spend 13 years of your lives talking. Now, some of us who make a living talking, we've probably got more than that, all right? I saved my words for Sunday, and you get them. Um, But a a lot of our lives are are consumed with, with talking, you know, this could probably be increased by the number of uh, or amount of time spent on social media and all of those sorts of things. But again, once big or small, words should carry much weight. And yet we live in a culture where that is not true. See, if you talk to people for very long, definitions don't mean anything anymore. Words have, have lost, I mean, all, uh, for some of us, not all of us, because some of you weren't born, which is scary for the rest of us. Uh, remember in the mid-90s when a president, a person of great power, sat in front of a television audience and asked the question to the reporter, it depends on what your definition of is, is. We have been in a political environment where we have seen the two proposed potential presidential candidates yell, bicker, scream, talk dirty about, practically cuss about each other in front of our children, and then we're expected to elect one of them and tell our children this is leadership. Whether it's emails or in front of a mic, words are dangerous. Words mean something. They carry much power. They carry much, much weight. You know, there's probably not another sin that we commit that we don't justify more than how we speak. Right? See someone about to do a bunch of drugs, right? You say, don't do that. It's going to kill you. Hear someone tell a dirty joke, and as long as you're not the one telling it, and you're just laughing about it, it's okay. 
Hear someone make a derogatory remark about somebody or, or to gossip about somebody or to, to slander someone, probably more than any other sin that you and I are prone to wander in is probably the sins that are evident in what comes off of our tongue. And, and brothers and sisters, I'm not simply talking about cuss words. You've heard me say this before, but you can cuss someone without using a cultural cuss word. It is very possible and yet, all of us are prone to justify that type of behavior because it's, it's simply words. It was with the guys. It's locker room talk. It was text. It was an email. It wasn't meant to get out. I didn't mean for that to be the intent. I didn't mean for it to sound. I mean, how many of us have all said, well... I didn't mean for the way that it sounded. Or we justify by saying, man, it, it was just a joke, right? You ever said something to someone and they realize by their face that they've taken offense to it? And your immediate response is, oh, I was just joking. You weren't joking. You just got caught. I just got caught. Words. Words are extremely important to God. Out of all the things that God could have done, he gave us a book full of words. He could have bippity-boppity-booped the world into existence, but he didn't. He spoke it into existence. We end the book of Revelation with the word, Amen. So, let it be done. It was said, let it be done. So it is. Words. Words have the power to build up. Words have the power to destroy. Now, in the context of our passage, we see here in the chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew, specifically in the section that Pastor Justin covered wonderfully last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to his sermon. Um, in chapter 12, the verses leading up to what we're going to cover today, to catch you up to speed, is Jesus is, is talking to a group of Pharisees. Jesus has healed a, a man, um, and he was demon-oppressed, and the Pharisees are really upset at Jesus for healing this man, for casting away this oppression. And they, they come to him earlier in these verses, in verse 24 of chapter 12, when it says, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said to him, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. So they come to Jesus, who has been doing all of these great things. I mean, he has just healed a man that is mute and blind, and demon-oppressed. He, he comes to this man. This man has brought them. Jesus heals them. I think on all accounts, we would believe and say that this is a good thing that Jesus has done. And yet the Pharisees see that this has taken place. They see a man whose eyes have been opened possibly for the first time. They hear for the first time the beauty of words. See the oppression of this demon flee. They see these things, and yet what is their immediate response? This Jesus is the devil. There is no greater blasphemy to look at God and to call him Satan, to call him the devil. And yet that is what these Pharisees have done. They have called him this, and yet look at what happens, knowing this is verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city of the house is divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, this is what Justin brought up last week, this is, it's ridiculous. If Satan can cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? And if you cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because see, it was believed by most of the Pharisees that they also, some of them, had the ability to cast out demons. So the issue that takes place inside of 33 through 37 is in reference in the same conversation that Jesus is having with these Pharisees. Jesus is saying, okay, I'm casting out demons. Pharisees, some of you are casting out demons. Do you say that they're the devil? Because they're doing the same thing that I am doing. So what does Jesus say here in verse 33? Either make the tree good or its fruit good. Or make the tree bad or its fruit bad. 
for the tree is known by its fruit, by its fruit. Now, the word make here is Jesus isn't saying, okay, I want you to go out here and make a tree. The actual original language there carries a better connotation of, I want you to suppose, I want you to consider, look at this. It's, it's not something that you would do with your hands. Jesus is referring to something that you would do with your minds. He's referring back to those accusations. If you say this is bad, then it is bad for all. If you say this is good, then it is good for all. So he's, he's saying if the Pharisees are casting out demons and you rejoice in that and you think that that is good, then when you see me casting out demons, then therefore you must critically think and work out your logic and say, then this is also good. Specifically, I would contend to you that Jesus is talking about himself. Either this tree, he is saying, is good or this tree is bad. But how do you know if it's good or bad? By the fruit of its tree. By its actions. So Jesus, he starts out, he's revealing something about me. You've got to say either I am evil or they're evil or, and I am evil or we're both doing good. Is healing the sick good? Is raising the dead good, Jesus is asking? Is casting out demons good? I think all the Pharisees would say, check, check, check. Are these things good? Jesus is saying, if those things are good, then my fruit is good, which means I am a good tree. But if my actions are evil, if what I'm saying is evil, if what I'm doing is evil, then guess what? Yes, I, I too am bad. See, Jesus is asking them to be consistent with their thinking. Brothers and sisters, there is a lot of inconsistency in our world, isn't there? I was reminded this week as I was sharing the gospel with 23 college students on the campus of Western Kentucky University who are believers that inconsistency is truth. See, we live in a culture where people want to pick apart the Scripture. They want to pick and say, well, this part is true. This it goes against culture, it goes against society, it goes against some of the things or it goes against the sin issues in my own life. So therefore, this portion isn't true, but these portions are true. See, if we're seeing anything inside of the death of nominal Christianity, that means Christianity by name only, which is not Christianity, but most of our culture, that's what we live in, nominal, inconsistent Christianity. They say they believe, and yet they do not know the essentials of the faith or practice them, yet they claim to be a follower. That's the culture that we live in. What's beginning to happen and rise to the surface is the nuns, the realization I probably need to know what I'm talking about if I'm a believer in something. I probably need to agree with its essentials. I probably need to practice what it teaches if I'm going to therefore call myself a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu. And so what's rising out of our culture is this realization that, okay, if I logically think this out, it makes no sense for me to claim to hold on to something and yet not follow its truths. Jesus is saying here, man, we need consistency here. We can't pick and choose what we're going to believe in in regards to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know this today, or non-believer, if you're here amongst us, I want you to know either all of the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is true and should be followed and should be worshipped and is pointing towards Jesus, or it is all false. And yet with the rise of cultural issues, political issues, we're seeing people all the time who were once faithful followers of Jesus, believing in the errancy of Scripture. But because of the pressure of society and culture weighing in upon them, they are also walking away, which is revealing what? Either they're a good tree or they're a bad tree. You can't have both. You can't have both. It's either true or it's not true. Jesus is saying, I am doing God's work, yet you label me 
the devil. This is the epitome of all blasphemy. It's to think that God isn't good. It's to think that Jesus isn't good. To think that his truths aren't supreme. And therefore it means that he is a child of darkness. That he is darkness himself. So Jesus says, okay, it needs to be consistent here. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. So you can't polish fruit to make the tree good. you got to fix its roots. If there is a systemic issue in the root of that tree, it will always produce bad fruit. But we love to polish the fruit and not deal with the heart. Jesus goes on here. He addresses things. Verse 34, part A of this, it says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Now, brothers and sisters, I, I cannot stress to you the enough, uh, enough of how this destroys the common view of Jesus as being this passive, kind of got hair spraying his hair, white body, blue eyes, blonde hair flowing, you know, kind of, hi, I'm Jesus, kind of levitating as he comes in and there's, you know, a halo around his body. I mean, imagine you're sitting here having a conversation with somebody and they're pretty calm and then all they switch, sudden they switch to calling you the brood of vipers. You guys have heard this story, but I was riding the car one time with my mama, and we were having a fine conversation, but I was disrespectful. And immediately she goes, Satan, you cannot have my boy. All right? No joke. You know what I did? I shut my mouth. My mama didn't call me the devil. All right? Scared me to death. Instantaneous. I'm sorry, Mom, I'm not the devil. I'm so sorry. I was disrespectful. I mean, don't call me the devil. Jesus, calm and collective. Hey, is this tree good or is it bad? You brood of vipers! You need to destroy this passive, feminized, overly, you know, just peace. Jesus. Because that's not who we have in Scripture. Now, is Jesus predominantly gentle? Yes, patient, long-suffering, all those things. But there comes a point in time when you must look at Satan himself. Because what does Jesus do? I mean, look at what he does to the Pharisees. These people have the, the Old Testament memorized. They are good at being good. And yet, what does he say? You sons of vipers. You brood. You're a grouping of these sons of snakes. Now, immediately, if I was to flash a snake up picture, I almost did this but I didn't want Pastor Justin to run out of the room, okay? Because he's definitely afraid of snakes. My wife is as well. She's glad she's teaching kids, okay? But if, if you call someone this grouping of snakes, these, what are vipers? They're poisonous snakes. They do something with their mouth. Their body can't hurt you. If you stay away from a snake's mouth, you don't have a problem. Okay? Its rattle can do absolutely nothing to you. It's its teeth. It's its mouth. Jesus calls them vipers, poisonous snakes. What do snakes do? They use camel to allow them to blend in. And yet they're very deceptive. They call Jesus the most blasphemous thing that they could ever call him. And what does Jesus do? He turns it back on them turns it back on them. The ones that know the word. And yet he calls them these vipers, these poisonous snakes. See, brothers and sisters, we are often led away by rhetoric. We are led away by words, especially popular words. If there's been anything that I've learned in this last year of watching the news and people's Facebook status is the realization of how easily they are led away by words. Insomuch that you will support deceptive words. That I will support deceptive words. Words matter to Jesus. If we uh, are quick to forget what happens in the garden, this whole thing's starts turning in a different trajectory over a conversation. Happened over words. Eve is deceived by what? 
words. The devil never made her do anything. He simply deceived her through the power of words. And they seem like popular words. They seem like the right words. And yet, what does she do? She falls right in line. Yeah, this, this is true. I'm wondering about this. Yeah, he said that we would be like God. Why doesn't God want us to be like him? Surely, surely you won't surely die. While her husband watches her commit spiritual suicide, she turns, hands it to him, The world goes down a lot of dark paths by listening to people use words poorly. See, words are like guns. Guns don't kill people. People kill people using guns. Words in and of themselves don't kill people. It's the holder of those words that speaks forth from their mouth. They're either speaking goodness or they're speaking venomous poison. We must be careful who we listen to. I'm, Paul, later on in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, talking of all of us, but this is how he describes us in our sin. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. We must be careful who we listen to. Some of you have heard this story, but early on in, in missions, early days, about a year into our existence, we had a person get extremely mad at me and left the church because I said something about a prosperity preacher in one of my sermons. And she was ticked at me. Never came back. Calling me, saying, who who are you to say that this man of God isn't a man of God? I'm your pastor. That's who I am. I carry no authority on myself. But if you look at the book of Titus, Titus, Timothy even tells Titus, or excuse me, Paul even tells Titus, this is what you have to do. You got to tell people of false teachers. And this isn't just the view of one. This is the, the view of many. When you take this ministry and what is being preached in the prosperity gospel, you compare that to the scripture, it doesn't line up. You need to be careful who you listen to. You can be easily, I can be easily deceived by what comes out of people's mouths in 34b and 35. Let's look at that. It says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What does the Bible tell us here? From out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Now let's, let's take some time here. Let's, let's camp out right here for a, a few moments. Brothers and sisters, we have a tendency to divide up our bodies. We like to say things like the body is made up of, of the heart and the soul and the spirit and the mind and all these sorts of things. But if you look at it from a biblical perspective, you're, you're, you're pretty much divided up into two things. You have a physical body and you have a heart. Inside of that heart is the seat of the soul, is the seat of your spirit, is is the place in which all of your emotions, it is the place in the seat of your intellect. So to earliest Jewish people and Jewish writers and, and Jewish Christians, when you said heart, it did not and was not void and separate from your mind. They worked together. That's who you were. Jesus tells him, looking at these, he's called them the brood of vipers. I wish we had the tone in which he said this or how loud he was screaming this. He says, for out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. The the heart is the nucleus of your very thinking of your will. It is the character that is within inside of every person. If you look at this word abundance there, it, it means to overflow. Literally, the word picture that we get here from this language is that if you can imagine just for a moment that you take a pressurized tank and you fill that with water, you fill it with air. If you've ever been around those tanks, there's typically a pressure release valve. That the pressure inside of those tanks, it begins to get so thick and so pressurized that it has to go somewhere. So either that tank is going to explode or the pressure has to be released. Now, we're from Kentucky. If you know anything about moonshining, this is the scariest thing about shining is the fear that the pressurized tank is going to explode. 
So inside of this, Jesus is saying, inside of your heart, there is great pressure. There's the pressure of obedience. There's the pressure of sin. And it is, it is, it is warring against inside of you, inside of your body, inside of your life. And that pressure is gaining and gaining and gaining and gaining and gaining. And either you're going to spontaneously combust or there has to be a pressure release. And that pressure release is you and I's mouth. It's our mouth. What is ever inside of your heart will come out your lips. It will come out of my lips. Man, if there is ever a convicting passage of Scripture for me and for you, it is this. It has pressure inside of your heart. What do you think comes out of your lips? What do you believe will eventually come out of your lips? It will spill forth from your mouth. Now, this can be pleasant or this can be terrible. Often I will describe preaching as this. About Monday morning, the pressure starts inside of me. It's not nervousness. It's anxiety. It's the weight. And my week typically looks like this, that on Monday, it's, it's, it's pretty low inside of my heart and those things. But then it climbs to this moment right here. How many of you have ever been sick before, gotten sick at your stomach, and you run to the bathroom, you relieve yourself, and, and you come back and you act just fine, and, and people around you are like, are, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've thrown up. I'm good. Because it took that to release you of that sickness. And preaching is like that for me. I, I'm, Sunday afternoon is the best time for me. Because I've gotten all of this out. And then Monday morning starts and that, that pressure inside of me, it, it's building and building and building and building to the point on, on Saturday night and I probably just need to be left alone. I get up really early on Sunday morning. I just need to kind of have that moment until I explode, hopefully with the gospel message here. But I want you to know the pressure that is inside of me is not always the gospel. Sometimes it's poison. goes on here to tell us, right? Verse 35, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. That word treasure chair is really interesting. It's actually where we get the English word thesaurus, which is what? An abundance of words. Jesus is saying, man, your heart is like a treasure chest. It's a treasure chest. Your heart, your mind, the way you think, your will, it is a treasure chest. Now, inside of that treasure chest is either things of great value. And if there are things of great value there, then you will speak forth things of great value. And yet, if you open up that treasure chest that you've been hunting for, and there is nothing in there, or if there is evil in there, we've all seen the movies, we've all seen the cartoons of the mysterious chest that everybody on earth is trying to find and get. And either has great value in it or it has darkness and some mystical power. Jesus is saying, man, your heart is of great value, but if it is good, then it will bring forth good. And how do you know that? What comes out of your mouth? If it is evil, then what will come out of your mouth will bring evil. It can't help but produce who you are at the very core of who you are. The heart to Jesus is of great value. Because they show either our nature is his or our nature is our own. And when it's left to ourselves, we will always be deplorable. We will always pursue sin, Satan, and death. Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite authors and pastors and preachers, says this. He said, word problems are heart problems. Word problems are heart problems. See, words are the fruit of our hearts. A lot of times you can't say, oh, I said this. Oh, I, I didn't mean it. Somewhere in the deep corridor of your heart, it was laid afresh in there. It's there. 
You're just ready waiting for your pressure gauge, your pressure valve to be released. I wasn't ready. If we flip over to the book of James, it's hard to not talk about the mouth and not talk about James. In the book of James, let me read to you just a few passages. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He goes on in chapter 3, right? The famous taming of the tongue passages. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by, with greater strictness. That's why I take preaching of the God's Word very serious because of James chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are, are, are so large and are driven by, some, by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force if it's set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. I mean, listen to that. Every animal can be tamed. But your tongue cannot can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. This restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in His likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening, both flesh and salt water? Can a fig tree, brings up the tree image, can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or grape vine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. What we say is extremely serious. And what is said to us is extremely serious, especially in a culture and a place that is going to tell you that that's not true. According to God's Word, it does. It does matter because what you say is direct evidence, brothers and sisters, lost person, of what is inside of your hearts. If you want to see a true marks of maturity in, in a Christian person, then see what they say. Out of all the evidence that reflect if we are saved or not, or should be found in the use of our words. And the use of our words is probably the greatest barometer. It's the greatest measuring tool. You're not saved by your words. I want you to know that. But your words reflect if you are saved or not. Your, my words reflect whether I'm saved or if I'm not saved. This is such a serious, serious thing to Jesus. As we kind of flippantly tell jokes or say this or say that or, or try to walk that line with our words, this is extremely serious to Jesus. What does he say here in verse 36 and 37? I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why? Because those words reflect what is going on inside of your very being. They, they reflect, they are the external expression of your heart. And your heart is either good, claiming the person and work of Jesus, holding onto the grace and the mercy of Christ who has perfect uh, words, he has, he has spoken everything that is, is perfect. We're either claiming and, and seeing that or those words are a reflection that we are children of wrath. Brothers and sisters, let us, not, let us not forget that there is a day of judgment coming. And you will either stand before God clinging to your own work 
or you will stand before God on judgment day clinging and pleading the blood and work of Jesus. He tells us here in this passage, what does he say? He uses, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word. What's he talking about there? Is he talking about bathroom words? Curse words? They're probably included. But the term careless here is, is just talking about like flippant speech. Idle conversations. Idleness, just thoughtless use of, of words. What does the Bible tell us is not to be that we'd be quick to listen and slow to speak. That we should hold every thought captive. Why? Because those thoughts eventually, either by yourself when you're driving down Scottsville Road and somebody pulls out in front of you and you use colorful language, even if it never comes out your mouth, is a reflection of what is inside of my heart. I need to talk to some of our older brothers and sisters in the room because I need to know if road rage gets worse as you get older because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. It's getting worse as I get older. It was not a sin issue I was expecting to have, but it is there. See, any of us, let's face it, you guys, any one of us in this room right now can mask our language because of who we're around right now. Any one of us. There are preachers of big churches and small ones that are not Christians that can preach the heck out of the Bible. We can't get enamored with this but we need to watch it. It's serious to Jesus. What do you say when no one's with you? How about this one, parents? When you get really stressed or really tired, what comes out of your mouth? It all reveals our hearts. See, our husbands and wives, friends, relatives, and kids should never be the punching bag for our stress and tiredness. But oftentimes they are. And what do we do? I was tired. I was stressed out. I think that's the difference between being tempted and being tested. God will allow us to be tested in that moment. What are you going to cling to when you're tired, stressed out? It's either going to reflect Christ's righteousness inside of your life, His grace, His mercy, the Holy Spirit resting inside of you, or it is going to reveal something about your heart and my heart. It's got real, didn't it? When we see these things, they're all indicators. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're reminded in Scripture we're, we're to what? Evaluate. All the time. What's going on? What if you were to stand before God and all He had was your tweets? If all He had was your Facebook statuses, Todd Crosby right now is like, I'm good, I don't have Facebook. What about the jokes we share? Let's be frank. A bunch of dudes get together and tell a dirty joke. It's okay. Why? Because there are a bunch of dudes. There weren't any girls there. Females. Right? Females have a tendency to talk around and about other females. Did you see what so-and-so was wearing? It's okay as long as she's not in the room, right? Or as long as she can't hear. Oh, my gosh. Did she not look in the mirror before she came? Two different scenarios, both revealing of our hearts. What if all God has was your tweets, your Facebook status, the jokes that you share, 
the body shaming that takes place. I don't know what we're supposed to be anymore. You're too fat, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too skinny. If you've got too many muscles, people are mad at you about that too. She shouldn't look like that. Look at him. Always wearing those cut-off sleeves. Shame on him. Right? All veiny. He's all veiny. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know what we're supposed to be anymore. Because of the words. Think about the number of teenagers, especially, who have committed suicide since the invention of social media. We would probably be floored at that statistic. All over words. People won't even be talking about us and will think they're talking about us. If you read them. Are they talking about me? Dangerous. Brothers and sisters, non-believers, saints, sinners. What does your mouth, what is my mouth, not just you, me, reveal about you? If anything has shown that we need Jesus, it's our mouths. It's our mouths. Let me ask you this. This is from Paul David Tripp as well. I'm going to send you a free book this week that you can download. It's got him and several authors all talking about this. He said, I would ask you again to, to be humbly honest. Let's do that, okay? If, if you're here for the first time, I don't think that there anybody is. Like, you're family, all right? So we're having an honest conversation this morning. I would ask that you again be humbly honest with yourself, all right? Listen to this. If I sat with you and listened to a recording of your words over the past month, whose kingdom, what kingdom, would I conclude those words were spoken to serve? Would it be the kingdom of self with self-focused demands, expectancy and entitlement? Would I hear someone quick to criticize, to judge, to slam and condemn because people are always violating the laws of your kingdom? How many of you ever said this? Oh, we can't say that. I'm sorry. We're a church. The thing is, is that if we can't say it here, we probably should. But those things reveal a lot about us. Now, what should be our response in closing? We need to preach ourselves the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel here this morning. Some of you, as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he have truly saved you, I want you to know there's two worlds still at war inside of you. There is the ability to sing praises, to speak praises about God and Jesus, and yet simultaneously struggle and sin with what comes out of your mouth. And yet there should be a war that is happening, that is, is lessening through the power of grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to less that, lessen that war. We are victorious in Jesus. We are victorious in the gospel. If you're a non-believer, I want you to know every word, even if you think that it is good that comes forth from your mouth, is from hell itself. It does not better the kingdom of God in any way. It is impossible and incapable to do that because you do not know him. You will give an account for those words. Every word that you have spoken, every thought that has come across your mind, you'll give an account as he has kept record of them. So I implore you, I encourage you, please turn to Jesus this morning. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Follow after Jesus. Why? Because your heart is Jesus' treasure. He's not just after trying to make people not say cuss words anymore. There are people who have never said a cuss word that are going to go to hell. Why? Because their heart is still evil. It's still evil. The king's treasure is resting inside of you. It is your heart. He'll, he'll deal with fixing the fruit, but if you follish the fruit and yet the heart is still rotten, you will always produce that. He is after turning your hearts, my heart of stone into flesh, you know, pliable so that he can use it and he will produce your good works. As Ephesians tells us, you were made for good works. 
He imputes to you grace and faith and gives us good works which He has laid out beforehand for us to do. But that will never happen if our heart is rotten. Turn to Jesus. Repent of the sin. See, our gospel identity changes our heart. Therefore, He can change our word. See, it's really quick to figure out what we should not be saying. But can I encourage us this morning of things that the Scripture in closing says that we should do with our mouth? One, we should speak about the supremacy of God. We should speak about the supremacy of God in all things. There's not a grandparent in here that when they meet people, don't talk about their grandkids. Now, their kids, they can... Huh. But they're grandkids. You know, I think about uh, Connie and Fred. Heather is due at any moment. Grandbaby, on the way. Dustin and Heather they used to be a part of Mission Church before they moved to Nashville. Grandparents right here. I mean, I'm just giddy at the thought. You speak about what you love. I love deer hunting. It is that season. It is hard for me not to talk about it right now. If you're a Cubs fan, it is hard for you not to talk about the Cubs right now. And I just called everybody in here a Cubs fan because all of a sudden they magically appear. Never watched a baseball game. I love the Cubs. You speak about what you love. I love food. I talk about it a lot. I do. You speak about what you love. We should be speaking about the supremacy of God. We, as the Bible should tell us, we should use our lips, number two, to encourage one another. We spur each other on with encouragement. When is the last time that you have sent someone in this room a handwritten note? When have you sent the easiest thing that we can do is a text message? Hey man, hey sister, hey brother, I love you. I saw you do this. Thank you for this. I just want you to know your friendship, your, your, your sisterhood, your brotherhood. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. We are called to encourage one another. Isn't there enough discouragement in the world? Every time I turn on the news, Laura's first word is, are you trying to kill me? Immediately. We don't watch the debates in our house. We don't watch much of the news. I read it, and then I feel Laura in, give her the bullet points, because it's just death to her. It's so discouraging. Church shouldn't be like that. The gathering shouldn't be like that. I mean, we're here to encourage one another. Another thing that we're to do, number three, we are to speak truth in love. The Scripture even tells us that, that sometimes the most hurtful of words can be from a friend. In this case, in this context, these are the right words. You're being a true friend if you're speaking these things in love. Even if it hurts that friend's feelings, we should be loving them. Now, if it's just so that you can be right, keep your mouth closed. But if it's in true desire to see God, hey, don't do that. Hey, brother, hey, sister, don't do this. I love you. This is not the path of God. That is doing something for their benefit, not for your benefit, so you can walk away going, I'm right and you're wrong. But to speak the truth in love, we are called to speak about the supremacy of God. We are called to encourage each other. We are called to speak the truth in love. We are called to be silent on many earthly topics. Many. But never the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this whole mentality of being a missionary and not sharing the gospel, I plead with you, do not listen to that. Over and over and over, proclaim the gospel, preach the gospel, speak the gospel, share the gospel with your lips, with your mouth. Everywhere we go, we speak the gospel. We are silent on a lot of issues, which we should be, unless they're gospel issues. If they're gospel issues, we preach. We fight against racism because that's a gospel issue. We speak against abortion because that's a gospel issue. We speak for sacred marriage. Why? Because it's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. 
But even more so, we preach the gospel, realizing even if a, a, a man marries a woman, and that, that happens all over the planet, and there's no such thing as homosexual marriage, if their heart hasn't changed, God's after the treasure. The treasure can only be unlocked through the presenting of the gospel, and God uses that supernaturally. Your words, your broken presentation, as mine was this week, to change people's lives, change people's hearts. Never be silent with the gospel. Proclaim it. Lastly, which we're about to do, brothers and sisters, can I encourage you to do something? When we come together as Mission Church, corporate body, to worship, we are disobedient when we don't sing as followers of Jesus. You've got to scratch out a lot of the Psalms where it says over and over and over again, sing, 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 shout, 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 sing, sing, shout, sing, play the instrument, sing, shout, sing, shout. We see in the New Testament, come together, encourage each other with, with spiritual songs and hymns, sing to the Lord. We, we get to the book of Revelation and, and everything is not focused on you and I when we show up. What are they focused on? They're focused on Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain, the Lion of Judah. As He sits upon His throne, bazillions amounts of, of angels are in, encompassing His throne. And what are they singing over on repeat? Over and over and over again. Holy, 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 holy. We're not to be silent in our celebration, but we are to sing about the supremacy of God, about the good of His gospel, the greatness of His church, and the mission that He has called us to. Can we be that church? Can we be so centered in the gospel that the gospel is the most important thing to us? If you are lost and undone without Jesus, if you're evaluating it this morning, go, man, if I was to replay my recording, I would not reflect Jesus. If you're a believer, I encourage you to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness from people whom you have hurt, and, and you need to confess to people that this is an issue and struggle. If you're a non-believer and you're sitting there and you're like, man, I've got rotten language, I want you to know that's a reflection of your rotten heart, but we love you. <laughs> Turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And then may as a church, we speak about the supremacy of God. May we encourage each other. May we be silent on a lot of earthly things, and yet may we never be silent on the gospel. May we proclaim the gospel. May we share truth and love, and may we worship Him through song coming forth from our lips. May we be that church. Let's pray.